0: Hey guys, Kill Stokes here. Welcome back to the Trading Coach Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about the debt ceiling and the potential for a U.S. default and... What exactly that means. Now, before we get started, I want to give a big thank you for supporting the podcast. You guys have been massive in keeping this podcast strong, not only just leaving ratings, leaving reviews, and growing this to the point where we've been ranked the number seventh trading based podcast in the world or out there in the universe, I guess, wherever it's at. But you guys are also the ones that give me the ideas and allow me to be creative and, and keep this podcast fresh. And today's topic is another one of those ideas where I was having a conversation about the debt ceiling and default and what it means. And uh, you've probably seen it all over news lately. And I want to take a little bit of time to discuss it. Now, first and foremost. You guys know my background. I am not a fundamental expert. I don't have any kind of classic training on economics or the markets. Uh, The closest I come was I had a micro and a macro economics class in college. I got D's in both of them and decided to switch my major because I didn't see it going too well, but Over the years, being in the market as a trader, um, I try to keep an eye on what's going on. Mainly, I'm focused on the charts and the technicals, obviously, but I do pay attention to the fundamentals. I do pay attention to news just to become a more well-rounded individual. It also helps with my investments, so my my longer-term investments, not specifically kind of Forex trading, but stuff in the stock markets, indices, uh, commodities, stuff like that. And... The talk around the town right now is the debt ceiling um, and the potential default. And I want to kind of make a uh, for dummies version of what's going on here. So the debt ceiling I'm talking about here in the US is like any other type of debt. So imagine it like a credit card. Right. We have our credit card our credit card gives us a very specific balance where it's hey, you have thirty thousand dollars to spend you have fifty thousand dollars to spend you have ten thousand dollars to spend right And you can spend as much as you want on the credit card but once you get to that limit you go to the store you put your credit card in you get that embarrassing <clears throat> noise and it says that you don't have any credit so you can't spend any more Well, countries have the same exact thing, right? Countries like to borrow. Countries like to borrow a lot. Countries probably like to borrow more than they should. Um, But in order to stop this borrowing from getting out of control, because you can imagine what it would be like if someone had a blank check to do Whatever they want, um, there is a ceiling. There is a limit on how much they can borrow. And what happens is, from time to time, we reach this limit. And typically, their you know, politics—they go back and forth, and they agree to raise the limit so that they can borrow some more. Right? Yeah, it sounds horrible, right? You get—it's it, again, it's credit cards are the same way. I don't know if you guys have ever gotten close to your credit card limit. I've done this before in the past when I had to kind of max out my credit cards to. To kind of you know get some cash to use for investments was a, a cool little thing I did to start my real estate business. It, it worked, but it's funny as soon as you get to that limit, it's like okay, I'm close to this limit. They're going to shut me down. You get a little message in the you know your email whatever like that saying hey, you got a credit increase right because credit cards want you spending more because the more you spend and the more debt you have with them, they can make more money off of you. So we typically do the same thing where when we get close to that limit. We raise it, then we can borrow more and we can owe more and all that fun stuff. And what happens is that we have come to that ceiling and we are in debate right now on whether we should raise it or whether we should not raise it. And the interesting thing about the kind of the the political state right now in the U.S. is that I feel like we are more separate than ever. I feel like the country is more divided than ever before. You have Republicans all the way on this side. You have Democrats all the way on that side. And everyone has taken everything to the extreme, forgetting about what's good for us, the people, but just kind of the extreme, super hot and super cold. So we're usually these two parties get together and do what is, quote unquote, best for the country. I feel like people are more kind of dug in right now, where it's like, hey, I'd, I'd rather see things crash and burn than agree with you. So it's an interesting time because in most cases we would say, ah, oh, you know, they'll just raise it. This case, we 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 may not have, we may not do so. And what happens if we do not raise it isn't the end of the world, right? We can still operate um, without using our credit, without borrowing more. The problem is it becomes more and more difficult because there's less and less money to use. Right. So government typically makes its money off of like taxes and fees. Right. All the stuff that we pay to them for stuff. And they're supposed to kind of put that into schools, infrastructure, pension, like all the things that are supposed to help us, the people. However, we know that all the money typically doesn't go there. It goes to kind of rubbing shoulders or brushing shoulders, wherever you call it in politics. It goes to this, it goes to that. Um, so that's one of the reasons that we, we, we typically run at a deficit. So what happens is when we run out of our ceiling, we have to, we can still spend, don't get me wrong, but we have to rely on the money used from the taxes and fees. And the money that is just used from the taxes and fees isn't enough to kind of pay the cost of what we need to pay for. So just like someone, uh, just like a a person in real life, right? When things get hard, you've got to dig through your personal finances. you got to get a stranglehold on what you're spending and you got to make some cuts, right? Sometimes it's cutting the cables. Sometimes it's, hey, no more fancy dinners. Sometimes you got to sell the car and go with something else, go with a bike, but you've got to become very kind of frugal with your spending, and, and that comes with a cost. In the cost of the government, that means infrastructure, that means schools, that means pensions, that means government employees. I mean, my dad was uh, before he retired was a government employee, so I remember hearing this story many times uh, in the past. I think the the last biggest one was 2011, if I'm correct, but about how, hey, you know, he's got like two weeks left where he may not get paid. I'm like, what do you mean? You go to work, I'm a little kid, right? You go to work, you get paid. Isn't that how it works? He's like, well, son, not in real life, right? Sometimes this happens. So that's what happens when we hit this debt ceiling and we have to operate without kind of money coming in. Now, the problem is, as you can imagine, just like someone that's in a bad financial situation, your bills are outweighing your income, right? So you can only do this for a set period of time. And they've said that June 1st or early June is probably that time where we run out of money and then we are going to default, which is a massive problem. So if you think about it, it's a really interesting situation that we're in. And last time we've had kind of this scare of a a default um, was, I believe, in 2011 again. And... The aftermath of that was a seventeen percent crash in the markets, and the U.S. debt being downgraded. And it's interesting. I just got a, a question for the Trading Coach podcast to talk about, said Akhil, um, kind of political. But what are your thoughts on BRICS and a lot of country uh, BRICS and what are and a lot of countries moving away from the dollar um, as far as the safe haven, right? So the dollar is the the typical, it's the reserve currency of the world, right? You. You trade in dollars across the world, but there are some thoughts, and I'm not going to go too much into this because this is a entirely different spiral that you can go down on your own. There are some thoughts out there that you know there are moves being made so that the dollar isn't the reserve uh, currency, and, and there's interesting lending habits by countries like China, also making plays for them to be the reserve currency. And China is very interesting because they do stuff like this, right? Um, There is, and again, not to go too far down this hole, right? So there are basically international lenders out there that lend money to countries who are in trouble. And what they do is they lend them dollars because again, dollars are the reserve currency of the world. Well, another big lender that has kind of appeared has been China, right? China is a lender, right? China holds, I think, the second most amount of dollars after Japan. I may have those mixed up, but I think they're one in two. So if someone or someone, some country wants a loan, right? China has the assets to lend them. And what China does, which is interesting, they, they, they've done this in a lot of places. I know Africa was one that they did in recently is you know what they do is they hold collateral where where and they hold collateral in the form of infrastructure so they say hey we're going to give you this loan here but as collateral we're going to hold on to this airport or this bridge or this highway and i'm sure there's strategic reasons for for picking out these things and what happens is if you default on the loan just like kind of like your 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 banker and your mortgage right where your mortgage and your banker they'll take your house china will Take your piece of land or whatever the thing that they're holding on that land. So that's another interesting topic that you can dive into in your own. I'm, I'm not nearly knowledgeable about that, so I don't want to go down that kind of that route. But it is pretty fascinating. But back to the point, in 2011, there's a big crash in the market. Um, and what happened was the U.S. debt was downgraded. And and as the U.S. credit was downgraded, that opens up the door for other potential reserve currencies to move in. And the US does not want that, right? Their number one kind of rule or agenda is to stay the reserve currency of the world. And people were thinking that this default, potential default could be worse, right? Again, I mentioned earlier, one, politically speaking, we are far apart from each other. So just pure stubbornness may stop us from making the decision that helps the majority of people. And two, we have a lot more debt than we did, what, 15 years ago or 12 years ago, however long ago it was. So it's something interesting to pay attention to. If you're looking for answers on what's going to happen next, I have no idea. They're, they're literally meeting right now or in, in negotiations again right now as I record this podcast. So, you know, I'll, I'll probably release this thing today so you can hear about it and pay attention to the news. But. It is an interesting subject. Now, lastly, of course, from a, a selfish trading perspective, the, the question is how does this affect the markets and the currency market specifically? Now, we talked about the crash in the US markets. Um, interestingly enough, you know, I went back to, to 2011 on most of the charts. And I didn't see too much correlated movement in the currency market. I, I didn't look at gold yet, but I, I, I looked at things like the dollar index. I looked at um, some different yen crosses and stuff like that as people trying to play different safe havens. And although there was a massive crash in the market, you can go back, this this was, if I remember, summer 2011, I think like July 22nd to August 8th. Um, so you can view that part of your charts, but there wasn't too much of a reaction there. So from a a selfish trading perspective that there wasn't any bias that I can create in the market for how I want to selfishly play this and then see if I can personally benefit. It sounds horrible, that, but that's what we do. But I would encourage you to do your, your your research. See if you can find any correlations. See if you can find any things that happen because we know that the markets are repetitive. The markets do repeat themselves. I'm having a side conversation right now with someone on the platform about crowd psychology. And we know that people tend to react the same way. So if there is something specific that you can pick out that happened in the past, the last time this happened, it's probably going to happen again. And if you have that knowledge, you can be ahead of the game. That is the beauty of trading. And personally speaking, that is the beauty of technical analysis, because we can see exactly what the actions were of all of the market's participants at that very specific time. Speaking of time, if you guys have the time, please take a second to leave this podcast a rating and a review. Also subscribe wherever you're listening to this at. Again, we're ranked number seven out there on top trading podcasts. I would like to get to number one because, well, winners win. I wanna be a winner and I'm competitive with everything. So take a few seconds, give me five stars or whatever you feel I deserve. Leave that rating, leave that review and I will see you on the next episode of the Trading Coach Podcast. Take care.